This is All the Right Marketing, a publishing podcast by Cardinal Rule Press. Now, here's your host, Maria Desmondi. Good afternoon. Welcome to All the Right Marketing, the podcast where we talk with different people in the industry who are leading the way, discussing marketing of their programs and products. Everything here is related to books, but anyone listening can take the advice out of these interviews and put that into practice in their own industry. So today we have a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Tyner, and I cannot wait to hear about her journey into the industry. Now, there is a fun fact about her. She is not only an author, but also a civil rights attorney and law professor. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You are a busy woman wearing many different hats. Yes, but they all line around my passion for education and literacy. So all of it ties together. For me, it was just a personal mission and vision in seeing far too many of my clients learn how to read while in prison. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So we got We have to go back and hear that story. First of all, I know you're an avid reader because I am looking at your bookshelf and it is yeah. filled with beautiful, colorful books. So as a child, were you a reader as well? Yes. I. For me, that was my first hobby, my first love, my first passion. So my library and was my second home in real time. And you, how long have you been an attorney and law prof professor? I started in 2006. Okay. And was there another career before that? Before that, I worked in science education and I also worked in banking and finance. Oh my goodness, wonderful. That is just fantastic. So tell us what led you to wanting to write a book. And then I would love to hear about your book as well. What led me to write a book was I felt that the books that I wanted to see when I was a child, that I couldn't find them. To see the representation in real time, because you're more likely to see a book on the cover with a black bear or a black dog than a black girl or a black boy. So when you're seeing only about 10% of books written by authors of color or featuring a main character or protagonist of color, you know, something has to be done because the landscape of America and the world has changed in real time. And it's a beauty that we must celebrate. And what better way to do it on the pages of books incorporating into education, reading and inspiration in real time. I mean, drop the mic. We could be done with the interview right now. That yeah. was amazing. It really, it, it's so true too. And so at some point you said, okay, I want to, I want to take a try at this. I want to try writing this book. Um, it's called justice makes a difference. So tell us how did the story, how was the story inspired? Was it a personal experience? Um, I know why you wanted to write the book and have, um, that beautiful black girl on the cover, but tell us what, where was the inspiration for the actual story? The inspiration was me volunteering in schools and seeing time and time again. I mean, for me, the introduction was a character being added into the babysitter's club by the time I'm middle school age, but not seeing books that really reflected me, re reflecting being African-American, uh, reflecting the connection to the African diaspora, 1.4 billion strong. I was so miseducated. I believe growing up that Africa was a country instead of a continent until I actually traveled there myself, connected to my cultural roots. And I thought, what a misstep. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, of course we talk about in the sense of this idea of mirrors and windows, but I thought to myself, yes, the, the mirrors are important to representation, but also that latter part 
around the windows for all young people to have those cultural experiences in real time, to tear down barriers, biases, and build community. And why not start when we're young? Instead of me, I feel like through my books and I've written about 25 now, I'm going back and unlearning everything that I've learned. Literally, I'm after this podcast, I'll be working on another book project. And I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I know this? Why does it take me to become an adult actively investigating, interrogating history to fully understand what was the role of activists during the civil rights movement? Who were they? What were their interests when they were younger? What was the spark? So imagine, we'll now have a generation of young people that have not only those mirrors, but those windows. And that will create the type of diversity and inclusion that we all aspire to that makes equity come alive. So for me, Justice Makes a Difference was really that vehicle to do that. Now, I must admit, I was a law professor. I had written leadership books and textbooks before. It was a bit of a challenge because at first it was like, no one wanted to say it, but I, I think I wrote a dissertation. And they were like, kids don't talk like that. <laughs> kids don't think, you know, the way that you're writing this book, you're still writing academic jargon. Mm -hmm. And I had to realize, and a part of what I spent a few years doing was getting back with children hearing how they communicate, how do they process ideas? I remember one of the little, uh, one of the focus groups with our precious little ones, one of the questions we asked them, and I thought they're not gonna know, they're only three and four years old. What does it mean to be a superhero? Automatically, they're raising their hands that someone saves people, that they're helping people. So I took that image of superheroes actually from inspiration from Congressman John Lewis, mm -hmm. because when I met with him, one of the things that he talked about was if you're going to do something to inspire youth, help them define a sense of agency. So help them define that they can be those superheroes. They can create change. And he also helped to give me a very special gift that I still have today. I always thought Dr. King's first books were his biographies, like where do we go from here, chaos or community? I didn't know that his very first book actually was a comic book or a graphic novel, that they used the idea then to inspire young people and teach them at a young age about the principles of nonviolent resistance. So graphic novel, a love for uh, Marvel characters, naturally, it was like superhero type of comic book style and engage young people where they are on those same lessons that Congressman John Lewis talked to me about, young people mobilizing their own change. Wow, I, I, I really do feel hopeful for the future with our current generation of children because I think that a lot of people are trying to teach these lessons, inspire them, give them these tools. Really, it's about the tools, right? So that they can, you know, grow up and they can be an activist and they know that they can make a change at a young age. So let's talk about the character justice. How, yes. tell me about uh, the story. Uh, what are some of the things that she believes in or she stands tall for in the story that um, children learn about? Well, children learn the main lesson that justice teaches them is that you're never too young to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Justice is questioning at one point. I'm only eight years old. What can I really do? Can I do something at school? Can I do it in the community, at church? Where does this really begin for me? And really the catalyst for change was her grandmother that reminded her that her age didn't determine the capacity and what type of change she could make. We know this, whether or not we're looking at, you know, Mari's work in Flint, Michigan, of inviting President Obama to address uh, the crisis related to toxic water and a need for clean water. She wrote that letter. A little girl wrote that letter. We also know the Marley's initiative of 1,000 Black books for Black girls and making those types of things come alive. So we know young people in our modern day times have been the catalyst for change in real time. 
So I wanted to capture that essence that when young people read the book, their first reaction, it tends to be for young women of color that it's me. So there's that representation piece. But for all children, the reaction is pretty similar to I can do this. I can lead change. In fact, we do an exercise when I go out and do book readings where the young people trace their hands. And I ask the question, and this is the main kind of thesis of the book, what is in your hands to make a difference in the world? And I'm still amazed with the things that the young people say, whether it's about addressing homelessness or helping someone in school, fighting against bullying, all these pieces, it gives young people a sense of agency that you can start today with those acts of kindness. You can start with today related to service. And more importantly, you can start today in making a difference. And it doesn't cost a dime. That's the other thing. It doesn't cost a dime to make a difference. You can start small. You can start in your home. Like you said, it, it has multiple levels. It can be within your home, within your school, your community, and you can go even bigger into the world. Um, this is fantastic. Where are these books available? They're available on Amazon. They're available Barnes and Noble, traditional retailers. And we also do a lot of educational opportunities in the community. So we do pop-up shops all over the nation and literally all over the world. Oh, so when we talk about marketing, like, I want this book to go viral. I want this book to be in the hands of every school. I mean, it's important. These children need this book. What are some of the things that you as the writer um, have done that you have seen help with visibility for the product? I would say giving a product more than just an identity of a book. Justice Makes a Difference became a movement. We partnered with groups like We Need Diverse Books. We partnered with the Children's Defense Fund. So we found those other partners who were working on increasing diversity in books, who were committed to literacy, committed to social justice and impact in real time. So through the power of partnerships, the books have gone further than I ever could have imagined. I thought, okay, we donate a thousand books and I get out there and do one book reading and here we are, mission accomplished. To date, we've donated books. We've created a nonprofit mission around it. We visited over 5,000 students around the world. It became its own movement in the sense of young people saying, this is exactly what we need. The affirmation that we can create change, the affirmation that we don't have to wait for a politician. We don't have to wait for our parents. We don't have to wait for anyone. And that's a particular piece. And when she's being introduced to Shirley Chisholm, because the book gives different themes of civil rights heroes and sheroes, And that's when she's getting the negative message of what she cannot do. But then she rises up from the example of Shirley Chisholm, who in 1972 said, I'm unbought and unbossed and dared to run for this nation's highest office as a woman of color, as a black woman. So what justice is finding is that she doesn't have to wait. She doesn't have to get encouragement that she can take initiative on her own. So for me as a civil rights attorney, I also think the underlying message is around gender equity as well. Mm-hmm. Still yet today, we anticipate that pay parity will ha- happen in 2059 and in fact beyond because of some of the setbacks, even with COVID, because women were caretakers and left out of the job sector at large rates. In addition to that, we say things and we study the problems. We say that women don't negotiate for their salaries. So they end up losing over a million dollars during the trajectory of their career. So we have all of these challenges and the Justice Book has really been an opportunity to use the book 
as a tool to bring all of those issues to the forefront, to not only inspire children and their parents and educators, but to inspire everyday people to say, how can we lead change on these broader issues? We don't have to just observe the problems anymore. At what point do we say we see a problem and we create a solution? Mm, so no longer being part of the problem and just focusing and wallowing in that sadness, but saying, okay, what can I do to move this forward? That's wonderful. Can we circle back at the very beginning of the interview? Um, I asked what, what, what inspired you to get into this work? And you talked about um, literacy in prison. What was some of the work around um, you that you've done with the uh, literacy issues in prison? Well, for me, it was something that I did not expect. Um, I come from a family of educators and pastors. So we are, whether you're learning how to read in Sunday school or you definitely have a prioritization around reading and learning, for me, I just thought everyone is, you know, reading, everyone has access to the same educational opportunities. And I was wrong because clearly if we look at the data and information, that's not the reality for everyone. It doesn't mean that it cannot be, but that's where we all have to be intentional on creating those opportunities in real time. So when I thought about the experience of working with many of my clients and what a miscarriage of justice, that meant you couldn't read your indictment, you couldn't read the evidence against you, but yet you're sitting there in a court hearing and yes, you're listening, but to comprehend that your life is at stake and your liberty without being able to read, what a misstep for our society. For sure, it wasn't so just power, right? Like, oh. Yes. No, and it wasn't just my experience personally with my clients, that's when it really was a catalyst for more research. When I learned that one in four American children are not reading at grade level by fourth grade. If you're not reading at grade level by fourth grade, you're four times more likely to drop out of school. And if you drop out of school, you're three and a half times more likely to be arrested in your lifetime. And even the Department of Justice, in case you don't believe the data I just gave, talks about the correlation between reading failure and future incarceration. And so why not then, as someone who is working in the justice system, trying to dismantle these cycles of mass incarceration, I had to start looking at all the entry points. And one that was common and a reoccurring theme in my work as an attorney was related to literacy and reading failure. I have to tell you, we are we are past the halfway point of 100 episodes. I think we're maybe around 60 episodes. And I have never felt so much passion coming through the Zoom waves um, from a writer. And I just, I really truly believe that when there is passion in a project that it makes the project that much stronger. It just, it really like carries the project through. And like you said, it's becoming a movement. You're partnering with all these organizations. It's not just a book. It's so much more. This has been so, such a beautiful interview. I'm like speechless. I'm fumbling over my words right now because I'm just taken away and I can't wait to re-listen to this and hear of all the different ways that this book and this movement that you're really backing and, and that you're part of is going to change the opportunities for our youth today. We're looking forward to it. I'm a woman on a mission and who's determined to create those opportunities of infinite possibilities for all young people. And it starts with the power of reading and learning in real time. So our mantra is leaders are readers. So I'm combining my leadership research as a leadership scholar and taking an intergenerational approach, reaching the entire family and community to create this love for literacy, reading and learning, but also with that spark of leading their own change in real time. That is fantastic. I'm gonna have, um, I'm gonna reach out 
in a few days after the interview, because I would love to know some of the organizations that you're donating books to, because we have backed several organizations, but I want to see if we can continue to back more um, from just partnering with what you're doing. So thank you so much for that. This has been fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an episode go live every Tuesday. To find out more, Dr. Tyner, where should individuals look out for you. We're going to put your social media handles over on the page notes. Where's the best place for them to see what you're up to? I would say go to my personal website. It's my name, articatiner.com. Then you can see the work that we're doing to donate books, get into the community. And then you can see the through line that I'm not just talking about literacy or just simple rights. This is my life's mission. And I'm taking research. I'm taking my personal experience as a practitioner scholar. And we're bringing it all together. So the writing is just another vehicle and tool to help bring forth social change in real time. Yes, that is amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Cardinal Rule Press offers a variety of support to authors, booksellers, librarians, and families. Find out more at cardinalrulepress.com.